Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast slash video that I like to put together where I like to talk about all things investing, talk about what's going on in the stock market, talk about what's going on in the investing world, some interesting observations that I'm seeing, and also interesting observations and perspectives that uh, other people are seeing and uh, just giving me this opportunity to share that with you, really for the whole purpose of you taking these nuggets of information and being able to bring them back into how you make your own investment decisions. Uh, my name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And what I do as an investment coach is I try to help people who wanna become finan more financially independent. But the problem is when people try to start getting into investing, they get really frustrated, confused, and intimidated by the whole investing concept. They either don't know where to start if they're just new to the whole investing thing or they've been investing for a long time and they're just not making any progress with their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with people on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and, and achieve it with confidence. So today I wanna to talk a little bit about, this is episode 100, 103, and today I wanna to talk a little bit about passive investing. And with the whole explosion in ETFs and the whole incredible epic generational uh, wealth transfer that's going from traditional mutual funds, individually managed portfolios to more of what have been classified as passively managed portfolios, there's been a lot of disruption in the industry. And what's also happening is I think we're kind of blurring the lines a lot because now ETFs have become so popular and have become the it investment that a lot of the bigger players that have been beyond the traditional ETF providers are getting into the game. You've got mutual funds, you got uh, banks, heck, you even got traditional uh, ETF providers like Vanguard, and uh, iShares who are now not just selling passively managed ETFs, but more actively managed ETFs. In fact, Vanguard just like a week ago announced that uh, starting next year, they're gonna have a whole slow, whole slow, whole line of, of, of actively managed ETFs, which is fascinating because the, you know, the whole principle uh, Vanguard and their whole value proposition is it all been about passively managed portfolios. Low cost index portfolios uh, products are going to do better than actively managed churned kind of portfolios. That has been their value proposition. So here they are actually contradicting their value proposition. I'm gonna do another total episode on this because this is like, an, an, um, it just hasn't been reported and hasn't been commented enough, but uh, I'm gonna weigh on this in a, in a future episode. Um, so the whole concept right now is, you know, people are piling into these passively managed products. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm observing is a lot of people are kind of equating a passively managed portfolio with a low risk portfolio. And because you're investing in an entire broad market, it's less riskier than per se, somebody who is just going out picking individual stocks. And that's, to me, is a major, 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 um, bad thing and because it's absolutely not. And the thing I always press with people and I, when I teach with people, teach people is that work with people is that stocks are risky. It doesn't matter if you have a broad-based diversified portfolio, you're tracking a broad index, or you just have three stocks in your, in your portfolio, stocks are risky. 
They are the riskiest type of assets out there and they are, have great probabilities of them to, to appreciate in value. So you can't invest just because you're thinking you're investing in a passively managed portfolio doesn't mean um, it's, a, it's a safer portfolio, it's a riskier portfolio. And this kind of leads into really what I want to talk today is I just kind of want to put out there um, kind of the straight, the straight shit on passive investing. And because I think there's, you know, I've kind of been, had that kind of first level thinking about, okay, passively managed portfolio, tracks a broad index like the S&P 500, Dow Jones Industrials, um, and that's what you get. But the real out, if you step back and think about it a little bit, um, these aren't really passively managed portfolios. Um, and I think what's happening is when you think about it, like when you, when you have, a, 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 let's just say you have an ETF that's tracking the S&P 500 index. It's not that those 500 stocks just, you know, that they're, that they're tracking or they're benchmarking themselves to those stock, those, just those 500 stocks just didn't like spring out from the ground, you know, one day when the earth was formed and life was created. The, these stocks were put there, were identified and selected to be part of an index. There was a process that went, that goes through that. And companies like Standard & Poor's, uh, the MSCI, and I forget who the other one, who's the other player? Those are the big ones. Um, FTSE Russell, they're like the big players they're the ones that set these indexes. And so they're not just, these standard pours just doesn't sit around and, you know, go eeny, meeny, money mo and pick up and identify a bunch of indexes or, you know, goes to the great book of indexes and identifies companies. Like there's a process that goes into identifying and building this these benchmark portfolios, these benchmark indexes. And and there's not, and there's various elements that go into it. There's there's quantitative criteria. There's certain things like size of the company, types of revenue revenue level. There's the quantitative aspect of it too. But there's also other aspects that go into it. Like for example, um, there's the political side of it. And to give you, and, and really what what drove me to talk about all this stuff was this really cool article in Bloomberg um, called "Index Providers Rule the World." For now, at least, and it just shows how these um, indexes, Standard Poor's, MSCI, um, have a lot of influence in terms of how um, portfolios are set, and I'll have a great influence in terms of how these ETFs are ultimately going to um, structure their products and portfolios to track these indexes. And they cite a few really interesting examples, and I just want to talk about it. There's an example where. Um, Standard or MSC, MS, the MSCI, um, which is the, the associated with the Emerging Markets Index, um, a lot of the broad-based like the uh, the EEM and the IVV, oh, no, not IVV, EEM. That's the one I can think about. Um, tracks the Emerging Market Index, and so there was talk by the provider MSCI that they were going to take uh, a few companies. Uh, based in Peru out of that emerging market index and put them into a frontier market index. And what happened was the government, um, because they thought if they took the money out of that really broad-based index and put it into another index, that that's gonna impact the value of those individual stocks. Uh, so the government literally flew up to New York and literally lobbied MSCI and 
basically begged them to keep those companies in the index because they tried, they basically had to make a business case saying, you know what, if you do this, the people, because all of a sudden all the ETFs are going to sell this, all the mutual funds are going to have to sell that, that, sell that, sell those companies, and it's going to decrease the value of those shares, and it's going to have great impacts on their economy, and blah, 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 and all the political circumstances. Um, it had an impact, and it just was a classic, and another, uh, just shows how these indexes have a great deal of influence in setting the market. And so, and then they said another example of China, there's been a great debate in the last couple of years of whether to put China into uh, specific companies into the MSCI, because that would have been a major game changer um, to have the China market enters into some of these indexes, because it would just alternate, uh, well, first of all, it would validate the China market um, in a sense, but then it would also create a lot of disruption, I guess, in terms of how um, people who are tracking that index are going to structure their portfolios. And so um, it's just interesting to know. And, and, the, and the reality is these indexes, Standard & Poor's, you know, just didn't wake up in their mind, are just creating these indexes out of the goodness of their heart. This, there's money to be made in setting and creating these indexes because companies that, like ETF providers that, um, are tracking, you know, are structuring their portfolios and selling products based on tracking the performance of a of a standard of an S and P 500. They have to pay Standard and Poor's a licensing fee to use their index, and so it's interesting because um, I was just looking at the article talks about how lucrative this business is of index creation and index tracking, because. Um, Standard and Poor's and Dow Jones, they sell this stuff. They license their indexes to anybody. And if you looked at their, their, their financials, the year to date, these indexes have generated revenue um, of almost a billion dollars in the first six months of this year of 2017, a billion dollars in revenue. So there's hardcore money. And so there's a lot of influence that these indexes have on can have on the markets and have on how ETFs are. But for you and I, the average investor, we don't know this because this is all behind the scenes because we think, oh, we're buying the, you know, iShares S&P 500 ETF, yeah, we're just getting the S&P 500 ETF. We don't see the whole behind the scenes, uh, you know, horse trading that's going on and money that's being changed behind the scene that's kind of being made off of these decisions. And so, to me, when you look at, again, what it comes down to is these passively managed ETFs that you think are passively managed are hardly passively managed. They're actively managed portfolios. They may not be um, traded and churned and you know all kinds of stuff. It may not be happening on a daily basis, but it's happening on a fairly regular basis. And the fact of the matter that the benchmark is getting constantly being evaluated and analyzed um, kind of demonstrates that these are not really passively managed portfolios, but really actively managed portfolios. So you need to, I think that, and I think uh, what we've got here is, is a communication issue because a lot of portfolios are out there. All these companies like iShares and Vanguard are marketing these ETFs as being passively managed. And Vanguard is, has a huge value proposition on passively managed. And that's far from the truth because and I'll give you another example because there's so much, as you say, there's so much stuff going behind the scenes. And it's, you know, as I said, these indexes are set based on, you know, quantitative criteria. They're set up, I've talked about politics. And then I've talked about business cycles because the nature of what the economy is doing 
plays into a role in terms of how the indexes get set. And I'll give you a great example here in Canada. In the mid 90s, when we had the real tech boom, um, like the, the TSX, the TSX, you know, we used to be the TSE 300 and now it's the TSX S&P Composite, again, run by S&P. Uh, well, the, the Canadian stock market has been more focused and towards more commodity kind of base. Commodities and financials really have been the big components of the Canadian stock market. Um, but what happened in the 90s was the whole boom in technology on IT firms. And all of a sudden there's all kinds of IT companies like Nortel, um, you remember Celestica, ATI Technologies, Hummingbird, Cognos. Um, remember all these great companies? I don't know, I'm dating myself probably here, but there were all these kind of great, there was so that the, the, the TSX composite was really had a high weighting in terms of technology companies at that time in the mid 90s because technology was a big growth area. And, uh, and biotech was also great, like BioVail, there was like, you know, see, um, CSE uh, laboratories, Canadian Medical Laboratories, stuff like that. That is an influence too in how the indexes. And so again, these aren't passively managed um, activities. These are actively managed, like aligning the aligning these indexes to reflect the broad-based economy of, of where of a representation, a snapshot of, of a broad-based economy or a sector. Um, these are actively managed decisions that are done to create these benchmarks. And again, Nortel, I, I use um, the TSX as an example, is in the mid 90s, there was a point there where the Nortel, where Nortel, which was the darling of the markets, the darling of Bay Street and Wall Street, it was, it was in the TSX index, it was almost 30%, a third of the valuation, a third of the weighting of the index was in Nortel, in one company. And again, this was not, just happened to be like this, this, there was some actual, there was some thought put into assigning that weighting to Nortel. Sure, there's prices, price, price fluctuations plays a fact, but there's somebody has to make a call and say, hey, we have to maybe put Nortel at 30% weighting. So again, I'm just bringing these elements because I've become more convinced that the, com the concept of passive investing is just a misnomer. I, don't, I just don't think there is such thing as a passively managed portfolio. Literally, to me, the most passive portfolio you could get is for yourself to just pick 10 stocks and just go away for 20 years and not do anything. Buy and hold, to a certain extent, is more reflective of a passive, um, a passive investing strategy. So, and at the end of the day, what I started with, I talked about, is that stocks are risky. And doesn't matter whether you have a broad diverse portfolio of stocks or if you have three stocks in your portfolio the probabilities of stocks going down are there they exist and they're they're high and so you have to kind of you have to be aware of that as you frame your investment decisions taking a this passive approach oh I'll just put my all my money in the S&P 500 and you know I don't have to worry about anything to me that's because guess what the S&P 500 as much as it can go down as it's been doing quite a bit the last five, six years, it can easily go down um, just as much and just as violently and just as fast. And so there's risk associated with it. So that's kind of a big takeaway. You know, a couple of takeaways I wanna leave you with here is passive managed doesn't mean low risk. And also there really is no such thing as passively managed portfolios. And so no matter what you're gonna read, um, you know, whatever you read from Vanguard or iShares or whatever, you know, your local bank who's selling ETFs, and they sell you, oh yeah, it's a really passive, safe, total blue chip, you get broad exposure to the market. 
to a certain level, yes, but the fact of the matter is these are risky. Stocks are risky. If you're gonna have equities in your portfolio, they are risky and you need to be aware of that. You need to be tolerant of that risk. Um, so what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to get myself to do more now with when this whole, when people start talking about passive investing is I really, I'm trying to take that name out of my vocabulary. I'm trying to take this concept of passive investing out because I don't think there's any su such thing as passive investing. What I tend to refer to these type of products now as um, they're really low cost investments, um, low cost ETFs. And that's kind of how I'm framing my when I'm my communication now when I'm when I'm talking to people and I'm working with people is I don't really don't turn I've kind of trying to put the term away passive investing it comes in now and then but um, to me when I'm talking passive investing is it's low cost investing and the real the great thing about products that invest in broad based markets like the Dow Jones Industrial or the Nasdaq or the Nikkei or whatever um, is they're cheaper they're low cost. They're, they're much more low cost than more actively managed portfolios. That actively managed, I'm gonna use a lot more passive, I'm not gonna use as much, but the costs are lower. They're just simply lower, the overhead is a lot lower. Um, as I said, but that doesn't mean behind the scenes there is stuff going on in terms of how these indexes are being set. So from now on, I'm, this is kind of my little thing right now and I'm just sharing it out with you. And if, if I'm doing this, if, I, if I'm still talking about referring to investments as passively managed, then you know what, just call me out on it because I'm trying to avoid it. And and uh, and I'm in my courses that I'm gonna be doing in when I teach, um, I'm gonna be kind of going away from this whole passive terminology and uh, and more, refer more to what, what they, these investments really are. And that's low cost and that's good, that's okay because as, as investors we want to have um, low cost, we want to keep our costs low. We want to keep more money in our pocket. We don't want to give more money out to the industry. So low cost is a better way to, for me, um, is a better way for me to, uh, to refer to this whole, when we're talking about products that are marketed as passive. To me, they are more low cost um, nature in terms of the portfolio. So it's interesting in this article and there's a couple of really good points that were really made and I just want to read a few quotes here in this article. Again, the article is called Index Providers Rule the World, for now at least. And it's in Bloomberg. I found it, it was in, uh, posted in Bloomberg. So, so here's a couple of quotes from the article that I thought were really profound. In a, in a market increasingly characterized by passive investing, these players can direct, and they're referring to Standard & Poor's and the uh, MSCI and the FTSE Russell. Um, in a market increasingly characterized by passive investing, these players can direct billions of dollars of investment flows by reclassifying a single a country or company, effectively redrawing the borders of markets, shaping the norms of what is considered acceptable in international finance, and occasionally, and this is refers to this, that Peru example, and occasionally upsetting the travel plans of government ministers. This that example I told you about the government flying up to New York to kind of uh, plead uh, MSCI to take them out of the frontier, take them out of the emerging market uh, index and putting them into a bunch of companies into their uh, frontier market index, and uh, it had an impact. Um, the other thing you got to know about these companies, these these, these S&P and MSCI is, as I said, they're, they're not just doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're there to make money. 
And it's interesting when you trace back the history of these indexes, the original index, stock market index was Dow Jones and it was created by Charles Dow and who was a co-founder of Dow Jones company. And the reason why they did this, they, when, you, when you go back in history and look at like, well, how did indexes just, you know, how did we get these indexes? How did they start off? They really started off as advertising and Dow Jones and company, Charles Dow, he ran a newspaper. Um, and it, for, it was basically a marketing tool for him to sell more newspapers. So they created this Dow Jones Industrials Index as a way to kind of give people a quick snapshot about where the overall stock market is. And, uh, and really the motivation to do that was to sell more newspapers. So it's interesting now, the original founders of indexing are, when you look at the, who, where they are today, they're pretty much following the same playbook as their founders, which is they're creating all these indexes. Why? To sell, to sell, to license, to the industry, to make more money. So again, these indexes aren't there just out of the goodness of their heart. They're there, there's, there's money to be made from it. Um, another quote, this is from Mohammed El Arian, the chief advisor from Allianz, uh, from Allianz SE. You probably see him on TV a lot on Bloomberg and CNBC is always out there. Very articulate man. Um, and he talked about, he waited, he commented about this whole indexing passive concept and said the problem that is that, quote, the problem is that a lot of investors assume that the benchmarks are almost God given and that they're problem free. And most of the time they're not. And to me, that captures the essence of what this whole indexing thing is. Um, it's a critical issue and it's becoming even more important as more and more people migrate to passive products. Again, key thing um, is people think they're migrating to something that's very stable, but it's not. There's a lot of churn and a lot of underlying uh, argument and a lot of underlying politics that get used to set these indexes. Um, another quote that was, I thought was really good. And this is from Howard Marks. And I've, if you follow my podcast, I've, I've talked to him quite a bit. Another brilliant man in the investing. There's Buffett, and to me, there's Howard Marks, um, is right there, right beside him. Um, and he talks and he comments about it. And obviously, he runs an investment company, so he's more on the active. He will have a more proactive management bent to it because that's how he's made his. He's grown his business. So he talks about this whole indexing concept, passive index, passive investing. He says, "Quote." Somebody is making very active decisions about which stocks will be in each index or passive product. Um, says billionaire investor. So what he's saying is that quote, um, passive investors are outsourcing their decision making about portfolio allocation. They're not making decisions as to which stocks to invest in. Instead, people who create the indices are just the people who are creating these indexes are the ones that are deciding which stocks people will invest in. And so in a way, these companies, when they add a company to the S&P 500, um, they're selecting, they're saying, it's almost like they're actively selecting that stock and they're actually recommending to the industry to, hey, include this stock as part of your tracking of our index, as part of your benchmarking exercise. So I kind of agree with them. Like now, like now when I think about this stuff more, I kind of agree with these guys. Like they're right. Like, like these are not just simple. They're not God given, and there's there's con there's serious brain power that's being used to to, to create these things, um, and that leads into another thing that I want to talk about, which is happening, is as I said, we're seeing more and more um, 
actively managed uh, ETFs getting onto the marketplace that are higher cost and are adopting a more, they're adopting a more formal selection criteria to build a portfolio using a variety of different investing strategies. What's happening though is a lot of times when you try to benchmark those type of actively managed portfolios, it's hard to benchmark them to a broad market index. So what's happening now is you're seeing ETF companies now saying, you know what, screw the broad market index, we're going to create our own index. And essentially this is what they're doing is self-indexing. They're creating their own index to benchmark against. And to me, that's so many levels of wrong because like, think about it. Like you're literally creating the goalposts. So if your, if your fund is underperforming, you can just tweak the index, the benchmark to make it look less like you're, like you're doing better than what you actually are. You have a, the great thing about having a third party like an S&P to benchmark against is you can't influence S&P in terms of what they're gonna include in their portfolio. But if you control the portfolio, control the index, you can, in, you can control the rate of your performance and control how effectively you're outperforming and underperforming the benchmark. So it's almost like you can, uh, these companies could have the ability to move the index, move, it's like moving goalposts. So if, you're, if your fund did really crappy this year, you can just say, ah, well, we just tweak the index to you know, make it look a little bit better and make our performance a little bit less worse than what it was before, what it really should be. And to me, that's a really dangerous thing. And again, that's something I don't think a lot of people, a lot of investors out there know about is this is happening more and more. And the, the, the explanation that the, that the ETF companies give for doing the self-indexing is, is cost. What they're saying is, well, instead of paying Standard & Poor's or MSCI to a licensing fee to track their index, um, I'm in a business, I gotta compete with Vanguard's and all these stuff. I need to have the lowest price products out there. So I'm just gonna do this stuff in-house and take that money that I saved that I would be paying S&P to license the index, I'm gonna keep it in my pocket, I'm gonna pass the savings on to my customers, to people who are investing in my fund. That's the logic and from a, I guess from a bit, from a, um, a pricing perspective, that might be a very effective thing. That might be something that could pass mustard. But to me, there's more about the credibility aspect of it, which is if you have the ability to manipulate that benchmark to make it look, your funds look better than what they are, that's not a good thing. That's a credibility issue. And that becomes a trust issue. Do you trust, like how can you trust these funds how can you trust the performance that these funds claim to be generating if you're changing the rules and you're changing the goalposts on that? So again, these are other things people need to be aware of with respect to ETFs. Because right now, it's just everybody's just rushing into ETFs without really understanding the underlying mechanics behind them and understanding what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on under the hood with these things. And because I think people are getting lulled into a certain level of, of uh, of security, feeling that, you know what, these are more secure than an actively managed portfolio, which has demonstrated an ability to underperform the market or not achieve uh, as good market rate of returns. And a lot of that is, is, is behavioral because we've gone through, 10 years ago, we went through an epic crash. And so a lot of people still remember that. And a lot of people don't want to go through that again. So they're looking for ways for them to kind of broaden out their exposure and, uh, and ETFs have filled a void for that to a certain extent, but you still have to be careful with these things. These are not just 
lockdown automatic things, go-to investing products. You still gotta do your homework, you still gotta do your research, and you still gotta be street smart about a lot of these issues that are out there. And if you are, then your chances are making better investments that you're gonna have, your chances of making better investment decisions are gonna, are gonna go up. So this is something I wanted to share with you, I wanted to share with you, because it's kind of forced me to change how I think about ETFs and how I think about um, communicating to people and making people understand about ETFs is, is, is language. And so this whole passive concept that's out there right now, that is so in vogue right now, um, to me is a misnomer um, because the reality is there's no such thing as a passively managed portfolio. There's no such thing as a passively managed ETF. Um, it, investments are actively, constantly, actively managed. They're always being look at, looked at, they're always being scrutinized. And you need to be aware of that um, as you're formulating your investment decisions. So something really important, that, uh, and it's a big of a change mindset in my change. So going forward, I'm gonna be referring to passively managed ETFs and products as low cost. ETFs, low-cost investment products, low-cost investing strategies, um, because that's what they are. And they're cheap um, investment opportunities, completely valid invest investment opportunities. I use them, I use low-cost products um, in my portfolios, so they are definitely good, but just be aware of what's going on behind the scenes around it. Just have that awareness of what you're getting into. So that's all I have for you today. Um, if you have any questions about this, and you wanna run some stuff by me, Feel free, there's so many ways you can get a hold of me. Um, you can get a hold of me through my Facebook page, which is Sage Investors. I'm on there uh, posting articles and stuff, uh, videos, everything um, is through there. Through my website, obviously, uh, sageinvestors.ca. Hit me through an email through there. Or you can hit me through Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time, again, commenting, observing, sharing content, um, sharing my uh, posts, uh, blog posts, videos, um, all that stuff. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at, um, at Sage Investors. You can get a hold of me through there. Uh, for those of you who are interested also, I do send out a weekly uh, email. Uh, I call it In The Loop, which contains basically you know updates on new stuff that I've posted on my website, videos, blogs, um, anything like that, new courses. Um, as well as also I share with people uh, research reports, information, observations uh, that I'm seeing in the market. Um, that what I'm reading in the market and it's kind of having an effect on how I look at in making investment decisions. So I share all that kind of content with you um, in the email. So if you're interested, you can go on my website again, sageinvestors.ca. There's the, on the homepage, there is a, uh, you just gotta drop an email and boom, you're on the list. And every Wednesday, I send out uh, a couple of blasts on every Wednesday, Wednesday morning and Wednesday afternoon. Um, for those people who missed the Wednesday morning one. Um, so you can uh, kind of get in loops and get a, and get a really quick sense of what's going on in the market and where things are in, uh, in the stock market. So if you're interested, just drop on my website, you can get a hold of that too. So that's all I got for you this week. And thanks again for joining in. If you're interested, um, all my previous episodes of Stock Talk are on iTunes. And so feel free to jump aboard there, subscribe and leave some comments if you want to, like away, um, it's all good. So um, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, my name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors and we'll catch you again another time. Take care, bye-bye. <music>